They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him, he's to blame. He could have called, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world, destroy the world and set him free. you so much. John chapter 10 in the Word of God this morning, Gospel of John chapter 10. My heart was stirred as they sang that first stanza, uh, talking about the individuals who spat upon Jesus. And quite frankly, friends, every time we presumptuously, knowingly choose sin, that's us. And uh, God spoke to my own heart. <laughs> Tears came to my eyes, I realized. I'm a part of that, but that's why Jesus died. He, he took our place. And so this morning is a gospel service. So we're going to look at uh, John chapter 10 and good news. And apparently there's a children's meeting. So children, you can split, but nobody else. <laughs> and uh, you can go, but uh, hopefully we won't have adults leaving <laughs> as well. All right, John chapter 10. Gospel, we need good news. And uh, thankfully, Jesus is God's good news to mankind. John chapter 10, we're going to look at this morning. And uh, then uh, uh, we'll uh, dive into uh, a progression of truth, I'm sure, uh, tonight and throughout the uh, remaining days, as we often do. But this morning, let's begin right here with the good news of Jesus in the matter of why he came. Why did he come? John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I am come. Here it is. 
He's telling us, I am come that they might have life. Now notice, this is in contrast to early in the verse, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan is a destroyer. He is a murderer. He is a liar. Jesus, in contrast, says, I am come that they might have life, not death, life. Hope, not destruction, restoration. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, in his statement of purpose here, there are two matters that are very explicit. There's another matter that's implicit, that's explicit in other passages. But he's saying, I am come, number one, that they might have life. See, that's salvation. What's implied is that they would know what they have. Because that's critical. So that you can get to the third part that's explicit. Living that very life of Jesus abundantly. Friend, I want to ask you this morning, do you have life? I mean, do you have his life? Do you know what you have? And are you experiencing that very life, this side of heaven, abundantly? See, that's the gospel. It's the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of assurance. It's the gospel of revival. <laughs> All packaged in the gospel of a person. His name is Jesus. I want to speak this morning on the gospel of Jesus. And we're going to spend a predominant amount of time on the first part of this, but we'll touch the other two parts as well because it's important to get that clarity in our understanding. Let's pray. Lord, we need you this morning. Spirit of the living God, as we just sang, fall fresh on us. Be our teacher this morning. Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, I pray for that individual here today who may not yet have the life of Jesus. Would you convict and convince of the absolute necessity for the life of Jesus to be birthed into them? May they receive that life this morning. Lord, I pray for that one here today who perhaps struggles from time to time, wondering what they have, doubting what they have, and in need of assurance of what they actually already have. Lord, I pray for that one who is saved, but Lord, is missing out on the abundant life. Lord, in need of revival. Lord, open eyes this morning. You know the needs. Apply the truth to each one as it is in Jesus, the personified good news. Lord, I claim the victory that Jesus won when he said it is finished over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Lord, would you manifest that now in this hour? We trust you to do it. In your name, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder and trust you that not be allowed. So speak to us, I pray. May people walk out rejoicing in truth personified in Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I received a phone call from a preacher friend of mine who is... Uh, uh, kind of of the, of the mentality that if you get sick, you tough it out <laughs> until you get better. So a little bit different than the mentality of our uh, last 12 months. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, this was, uh, was pre-COVID, and uh, this was just his mentality. And he called me, he said, John, he said, I had a strange thing happen. He, he said, I got sick, and he said, you know me, you know, I just, you know, you just kind of tough it out, and you get better. He's just kind of, you know, tough guy approach. And uh, uh, he said, I was, uh, I was toughing it out, but I wasn't getting better. He said, so I went to the doctor. 
novel idea. <laughs> and so he goes to the doctor, and the doctor examined him and said, oh, you just got a case of the flu. Just tough it out. <laughs> you get better. He said, oh, John, I was so embarrassed because that, you know, that's what he said. And he said, so I was toughing it out, but he said, I still wasn't getting better. He said, I had to go preach in another state. He said, it was a mess. I was in bed the whole time. And, you know, I had just would get up and go preach and go right back to bed. He said, I was so sick. I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse. He said, I was so sick. I went back to the doctor. Now, you know, the man is sick. He's like really sick. And the doctor re-examined him and discovered that he had misdiagnosed his case. It does happen. This was not a case of the flu. It was, I don't remember the name of it, I'll just describe it briefly. His intestines had twisted to the point of causing a complete blockage. I'll stop right there, but that's a problem. <laughs> now, friends, if you don't get diagnosed accurately, you may be given a cure, but it's not going to help you. It's not the right cure. See, Satan tries to make truly lost people think they're saved, so they die and go to hell. He tries to make truly saved people think they're lost so that they doubt and are off of the position of faith and without faith it's impossible to please God and they're sidelined. You see, we need to know the truth. We need to know the truth as it applies to us. We need to let the Spirit of God take the Word of God and show us what is our need this morning. Friend, do you have life? Do you have the life of Jesus in you? See, salvation is not just getting you to heaven. It's getting Jesus right into you. Do you have that life of Jesus inside of your person? If you do, do you know what you have? Or do you struggle with doubt in those seasons where you go, am I saved, am I not? I have emails from different ones over the years. I probably get questions about assurance of salvation more than anything else. And the longest threads that I have definitely are on assurance, sometimes well over 80 back and forth emails because of the struggle of knowing, am I saved, am I not? Maybe that's your need this morning. <laughs> well, what about the revival part? Friends, if you are saved, are we living it? Look, we are in America, and if we're not careful, we just, you know, we have a pampered culture, and we, you know, we're fine without God. It's a tragedy. You go to a place like Burma, Myanmar, where they're under the, literally under the gun right now, and they don't have any false pretense. Friend, if you're saved, are you living that abundant life? Is the life of Jesus bursting forth through your personality so that you're being carried by the divine life animating you? That's the abundant life. See, what's the need this morning? You say, well, how do you know? Well, let's begin with the matter of salvation. And we'll spend a predominant amount of time here, but we'll move briefly to the other two. How can you have life? Well, if you have your Bible open to John 10, go back to chapter 6. Probably just two pages to your left. Can we do that? I rarely ask people to move <laughs> once we've started because I don't want to lose people. But this will help because it's helpful to see the words of Jesus with our own eyes. He says something in John 6 that he already said in John 3 a couple of times. He said it in John 5 already. But I love the wording of John 6, 47 because it's first person spoken by Jesus. If you have a red letter edition, you'll see that. And and it's very, very clear, this is how you have life. He says, verily, verily, that's truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now notice, there's a condition. He who believes on me, followed by a promise, has everlasting life. All right, so the issue here is the choice of faith. He who believes on me, followed by the promise of having eternal life, 
has everlasting life. Now, what does it mean to believe on Jesus? The wording of Jesus here is absolutely, um, uh, it's just amazing to me, the precision. He didn't say, he who believes about me. He said, he who believes on me. In John 3, 16, and the third person, he who believes in him, referring to himself. So he's moving beyond believing about Jesus to believing in him or on him. Now, what does that mean? Well, that wording demands your entire soul. Now, when you get saved, you don't have to think, okay, is my whole soul happening here? <laughs> no, but it does happen when you're actually getting saved. Your soul is your mind, your affections, and your will. I often liken the soul of man to a triangle because you have to have three sides to have a triangle and you have to have all three parts of the soul of man involved in these words to believe on him. It demands your entire soul. So let's start with the first side of the triangle, your mind. What does an unsaved person have to understand in order to get saved? Well, some people say this, some people say that. You know what the Bible says? The natural man doesn't get it. 1 Corinthians 2. Because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So you can try to teach him about all sorts of things in the Bible, but God says he's not going to get it. You say, well, what hope does he have? Jesus tells us in John 16 that the Holy Spirit convicts or reproves, proves, convicts, convinces the world, lost people, of sin, hmm, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, the only hope an unsaved person has of ever getting saved is that the Spirit of God convinced them because as a natural man, they don't have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes to help unsaved people understand sin is the problem. There is a judgment, but there is a righteousness that we can have in Jesus. Now, those three truths perfectly parallel what God calls the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, how that Christ, he's the righteousness we need, died. That's the judgment we deserve for our sins. That's the problem. It is no accident that the Holy Spirit convicts perfectly parallel truths to the gospel that Christ, the righteousness we need, died, the judgment we deserve for our sins. In other words, those three truths are what you have to understand, and that passage goes on to say there's a decision that you must make. That's what he's referring to right here. He who believes on me. In other words, in your mind, you have to understand sin is the problem. Why? Because God is the standard for heaven. And God is sinless. In him is no sin. The standard for heaven is God. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect. <laughs> Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know, that's a pretty high standard. I mean, most of us say, well, if I'm better than the next guy, I'll make it. You know, if my good works outweigh my bad works, I'll make it. It's not what God says. The standard for heaven is God. The standard for heaven is perfection. That's why the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Try as we may, we don't even come close. Well, you got to understand that, but you gotta also have to understand that that means there's a consequence. God's a just God. There is a judgment for sin. Jesus did talk about hell. Why hell is a, a real place? It is eternal separation from God in eternal fire or the lake of fire. And that's real. I fear we get desensitized to the word hell because we hear it as a cuss word so much. Friends, hell is real. If you're in this audience this morning and you don't know Jesus 
and you drop dead right now, you would drop right into hell. It's that real. But there is a good news. We just came through the Easter season. I love the Easter season. <laughs> Christ died for our sins. We're the ones with this problem. We deserve this judgment of separation from God forever in hell. But Christ died for our sins. That is, he took our place. Our sins were put on him so that, the Bible says, his righteousness could be put on us. You see, the standard for heaven is God. We need the righteousness of God. The fact is, if you try to get that on your own, you won't make it because you're not perfect. You're not even close, neither am I. But if somehow your sins could be put on Jesus so that his righteousness could be put on you, if there could be an exchange, that would solve the problem. And see, that is what happened. Jesus lived that sinless life and he went to the cross and on the cross, our sins, your sins, my sins, all the dirt, scum and filth we don't want anybody to know about. All of it was put on him. And friends, he said it's finished. He died for our sins. And the Bible says that because of that, there can be a forgiveness of sins that covers the whole thing, past, present, and future, and his righteousness can be put on our account. That's what the Bible calls justification, where legally God declares you righteous in the sight of God because you have trusted Jesus. He took your place. He died the death you deserve. Your sin was put on him so that his righteousness could legally be put on you. And, as he says right here, he gives you his very own eternal life. And eternal life is not something. Eternal life is someone. In 1 John 1, 2, Jesus is called that eternal life. So he says here, he who believes on me has me, <laughs> has eternal life. 1 John 1, 2, he is the eternal life. 1 John 5, 20, he is the eternal life. You see, you receive him. So there it is. Salvation is not just getting you to heaven. It's getting Jesus into you. And the reason that can happen is that your sin is put on him and his righteousness is put on you. And so you're declared righteous in the sight of God and he moves in and you receive his very own eternal life. So in your mind, you have to understand that uh, I'm sure I've done this before in former meetings, uh, but I find that there's so much misunderstanding on this point that uh, it can be a help to, uh, to maybe have an illustration. Let me stick it to the side here uh, to help us understand. Okay, so he says, he who believes on me. So sin's the problem, hell's the consequence, Christ is the answer, therefore we must believe on him. What does that mean? See, in our mind we have to understand that. So if I tell you, audience, I believe this chair could hold me up, what would I have to do to prove it to you? Sit on it. If all I do is talk about it, I believe about it. I could even pray and ask that chair to hold me up, but that's not going to do anything. <laughs> I have to sit on it. So what if I say to you, okay, I'm going to sit on it, I'm going to prove it to you, but when I go to prove it to you, I do this. Glad the choir's not back there. <laughs> now, am I really trusting this chair if I'm still hanging on to this chair? No. So that split trust reveals a mistrust in this chair because I'm still hanging on to this one. Did we get that? Okay, so to believe on this chair, I'd have to get off of this chair entirely and put my weight entirely down on this chair. Okay. I was in a meeting in Urbana, Illinois some years ago. I asked a lady, ma'am, 
Uh, I found out she was new there. I said, uh, well, do you, you know, you're 100% sure your sins are forgiven? You have eternal life? She said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. I said, well, what are you dependent on? She says, well, I believe in God. Well, that sounds good. I said, anything else? She said, oh, yes, you must be baptized too in order to make it. Now, the Bible talks about baptism. I'm a Baptist preacher, but not in order to make it. Jesus said, he who believes on me, one chair. She was on both. She said supposedly she believed in God, but she was also, oh yes, you must be baptized too in order to make it two chairs. You know what verse I showed her? John 6, 47. I said, ma'am, Jesus said he who believes on me. See, it's just singular. As soon as you say Jesus and, you're mistrusting Jesus because you're hanging on to something else. Here's what she did. She went, oh, I've never believed in Jesus. She got it. And thankfully, she did believe on him that day. Okay, so my point is, in your mind, you have to understand sin is the problem, hell is the consequence, Christ alone is the answer, and therefore you must believe on him. One chair. That's the mind. But obviously, you have to go beyond the mind to have your whole soul involved in this. That's your affections. Your affections are when you allow what you understand to affect you. <laughs> in other words, when you become convinced of this so that you are affected... We use the term emotions. Emotions are involuntary. But the fact is, when you are convinced of truth, when you agree with what you understand, it affects you. There are some people who understand what the Bible says, but they don't agree with it. I remember a man who said, well, I understand that's what the Bible says. I just don't believe Jesus is God. Okay, so he understood, first side of the triangle, but he didn't agree, which means he wasn't saved. And thankfully, that week, God answered the prayers of those people in that church. When he got saved, he said this, God, thank you for convincing me that Jesus is God. And he went on to trust Jesus as a Savior. I saw him four years later in another meeting, growing in the Lord. It was really neat. He was 94 at that point. Uh, but uh, So you have to understand, but you've got to agree with what you understand. In other words, you've got to personalize it. It's not just that everybody else is a sinner. I am. It's not just that everybody else deserves judgment. I do. It's not just that Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died for me, for my sins. See, you agree with what you understand. Now, if you stop there, you believe about. That would be like sitting on this chair. I understand this is a chair, and I agree it could hold me up. I'm convinced it could. Okay, that can all be real, but if you stop short at that, that's believing about the chair. I think we get that. Okay, so we have to get to that third side of the triangle where you use your will, your chooser, where you make a choice to depend on Jesus. Remember, Christ died for our sins. You depend on Jesus, the solution, to save you from sin, the problem, and hell, the consequence. In other words, you make that choice to sit down on the Jesus chair. I was in a meeting one time, gospel service, similar to this. I had many visitors there that day. And uh, I asked at the uh, end of the service, uh, people to bow their heads. And I said, how many of you have never made this choice to believe on Jesus, to actually transfer your trust to him to save you? Many raised their hand, including a guy, I'm guessing, in his 30s. Many responded that day. Many put their faith in Jesus. They sat down on the Jesus chair, which means they received eternal life based on God's word. He did not respond. So afterwards, I said, hey, I saw you raise your hand uh, in the invitation time. He said, oh, don't worry. He said, I'm saved. Now, we got a problem. Because in the invitation, he raised his hand saying, I'm not saved. Afterwards, he said, don't worry about me. I am. I said, well, when was that? He said, when I was 16. Well, we need a diagnosis because the guy's confused. Are you with me? So I asked him. I said, well, look, at 16, did you understand? First side of the triangle. <laughs> Sin's the problem. 
that there's a judgment in hell and that Jesus died for your sins and rose again? And uh, did you agree that you were a sinner that deserved hell, that Christ was your only hope? He said yes to all of those questions. I'm summarizing it. I said, well, the best you knew as a 16-year-old, did you depend on Jesus simply to save you? He said no. He said, I prayed. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a prayer if it's an expression of faith. But here's what he said. He said, I prayed, but he said, I don't know if he saved me. I, I don't know. I said, I, he said, I hope he did, but I really don't know if he did or not. Now, let me ask you, was he trusting Jesus to do what he said? No. So was he saved? No. You see, you have to sit down on the Jesus chair. You have to trust God to do what he said. Jesus said, he who believes on me has eternal life. Now, I ask you, dear friend, do you have eternal life? In other words, it's not just that you understand that sin's the problem, hell's the consequence, Christ is the answer. It's not just that you agree with that. If you're in this service today, probably you understand all that and you agree with it. I'm asking, have you sat down on the Jesus chair? Have you put your faith in him? Have you depended on him? It's that simple choice that says, God, I can't save myself. I can't even help save myself. I trust in you right now to do what you said. It's not based on emotions. It's based on trusting God to do what he said. And friends, the moment you make that choice, God says you have eternal life. Jesus moves in. He's called that eternal life. You receive him. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, his righteousness is credited to your account. But he moves in. Now, for all the men in the audience today, do you have eternal life? Do you have eternal life? All the ladies in the audience today, I ask you, do you have eternal life? Do you have Jesus? Has he moved in? Teenagers in the audience, look. You may think, well, you know, I don't know about this God stuff, this church stuff. Look, this is real. You need Jesus. This is why he came. If you could get to heaven on your own, he wouldn't have come, but he did come. And he is the Savior, and he's coming again. But you've got to know him. You've got to start with this choice where you understand, you agree, and you actually depend on him right now once and for all to save you. Teenager, are you saved? Do you have eternal life? Do you have eternal life? See, that's salvation. You depend on him. He moves in. You have his eternal life. Now, if you have eternal life, praise the Lord. If you don't, you need to make that choice today. A week ago Saturday, I was telling this in the Sunday school hour, I was at a bonfire where some, several people from different churches had come and they meet once a month and they talk about what God's doing in their lives and God's doing a tremendous work in their lives and so on. Well, there was a guy whose uh, cousin had uh, come up from Texas. This was over in East Tennessee. And uh, uh, he was in that... Uh, he was there at that bonfire time. I didn't know most of those people, so I didn't know who was who. I didn't know that this guy was not really a part of the other... Uh, he wasn't part of the churches and so on. He was just the uh, uh, visiting up uh, with his cousin. And uh, the pastor who was leading it at the end said, you know, I sense somebody here doesn't know the Lord. I love how the Holy Spirit leads. <laughs> he said, you know, you need to know him. You need to have life. You need to be saved. He said, we're going to pray. And if God's speaking to you, just nudge somebody next to you and uh, we'll show you. Well, nobody responded, but afterwards this big old guy had a bunch of tears in his eyes and people began to realize, you know what, God's, God's doing something over here. 
So his cousin, who brought him, on the way home, they began to talk, and the guy says, you know what? I'm not saved. i got to get saved. It was interesting at that bonfire service, I could look at people's faces, and that guy was deadpan. Next morning, he showed up in Sunday morning uh, service with his cousin. He was lit up. His countenance was changed. There was Jesus all over him. Why? Because there was Jesus in him. That night before, he believed on Jesus. He sat down on the Jesus chair, and he received the eternal life of Jesus. See, that's salvation. That is salvation. Do you have eternal life? I was talking to a guy just a couple of weeks ago in North Carolina, Tarboro, North Carolina. <laughs> and uh, uh, we were, he was out fishing, and I said, you mind if I talk to you? He said, no, no. He says, I'm just waiting for the barber to go down, no problem. <laughs> and uh, we began to talk. He was split trust. He knew all about Jesus. But when I described the two chairs, I didn't have two chairs out there by the lake, but I just described them. He said, you know what? He said, I'm on two chairs. I know about Jesus, but I'm also depending on myself being, you know, trying to be good. Now, look, God wants us to live right, but that's not how you get to heaven. The standard for heaven is God. It's perfection. And I'm going to tell you, that guy caught it. And I said, well, do you realize that you need to place your dependence on Jesus alone? He said, I do. I said, are you willing to do that? He said, I am. <laughs> and there by that lake... He bowed his head and admitted to God that he was a sinner that deserved hell, but knowing Jesus died for him and rose again, he put his faith in. Not just believing about Jesus, in his heart he said, Jesus, I'm trusting you alone. Because it was very clear, he was the two-chair guy. He said, I get it, I'm trusting Jesus now alone to save me. And he walked away from there rejoicing. He even gave a testimony to another guy on the way out. Now friends, do you have the eternal life of Jesus. You believe on him. That's the choice of faith. Where you understand sin's the problem, hell's the consequence, Christ is the answer. You agree. But going beyond that, you depend on him to apply that to you once and for all. If that's your need, I trust you'll make that choice this morning. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking... Okay, I can remember a time when I understood all that, and yeah, I agreed, and, and uh, yeah, the best I know, I depended on Jesus. Well, you know what? God says you have eternal life. But maybe you have seasons of doubt. Would it be in Satan's best interest, <laughs> I shouldn't say best interest, <laughs> but would it be in Satan's devious interest to make a saved person doubt his salvation? Yeah, because if you doubt your salvation, then you're troubled. And if you're troubled, you don't have peace and joy. And if you don't have joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And now you, you're defeated because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And you're on the position of doubt. And even though you're saved, you're doubting it. And so when you doubt, then you're not on the position of faith. And so you don't have victory over the world. So you're defeated. And you're not effective leading people to Christ because you're not sure you're saved yourself. <laughs> so is it in Satan's devious interest to make a truly saved person doubt of salvation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you lose your joy, you, you get defeated, and you are ineffective in God's cause. You're sidelined. So Satan is constantly trying to make people doubt. How does he do that? He causes them to switch their focus. Now, if you are willing to do this without 
me losing you in the message, if you want to see the actual text, the explicit text is 1 John 5. <laughs> now, if you don't want to turn because I'll lose you, then you just stay listening. <laughs> but if you want to turn, it's 1 John 5. Verse 11 says, this is the record. That's a tremendous statement. This is the record. Now, 1 John 5, 11. This is what God says, literally the testimony that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his Son. And it goes on and it says, These things have been written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now I want you to catch this here. Is he writing to people that believe merely about Jesus or to people who believe on him? You read it down there in verse 13. These things have written to you that believe on. So have they believed merely about Jesus or have they sat down on a Jesus chair? Have they believed on him? Yes. So they've believed on him, so what do they already have? All right. So why is he writing? Next phrase, that you might know what you already have. See, assurance is needed for those who have eternal life but don't know it. You say, how could they not know it? Well, when they got saved, they understood. Yeah, they agreed. They depended. We just emphasized that. But you know what? If you take your focus off of what God says, you can doubt. The key to faith is the object of faith. We're the subject of faith. In other words, we're the one that has to exercise faith. Jesus is the object of faith based on his words. So the key to faith is not us. Man, hallelujah for that. <laughs> the key to faith is God based on his word. All right? So what happens is, if you take your focus off of what God says, the object of faith, and you focus on the subject of faith, you, you can doubt your salvation. Here's what most people say. Well, I thought I got saved, you know, blah, 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 year. But, you know, I'm pretty defeated. In fact, I did some pretty bad things. Uh, how could a saved person do this? Well, you know, it's a tragedy for a child of God to live in defeat. It's an absolute tragedy. It's not necessary. It's a tragedy. But is it possible for a child of God to sin? Yeah, take a look around. <laughs> like at your own self. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's possible. So what happens is, people say, well, man, I'm just so defeated. How could I be saved? Look, salvation is not based on how well you perform. And God wants us to live right. Don't misunderstand me. But that's not where you find assurance. See, the gospel of Jesus is that when you believe on him, that's faith. He paid it all. He said it's finished. You simply depend on him to apply that to you. That's why it's good news. He paid it all. So the gospel of Jesus in salvation is that it's by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Do you know the gospel of assurance also has to be by faith in order for it to be the gospel? If you make assurance by works, it's no longer the good news because your works are like this. <laughs> right? <laughs> and especially if you have a really bad moment and you're thinking, oh, man. But see, assurance isn't by works, it's by faith. And so here, the difference is in salvation, it's the choice of faith where you sit down on the Jesus chair. In assurance, it's the focus of faith. 
Verse 11 says, this is the record. This is what God says. Look at what he says. That when you believe on him, you have eternal life. And therefore, he who has the Son has eternal life. And he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have eternal life. These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, which means they have eternal life. Why is he writing? So that they know what they already have. And how do they get that assurance? By looking at the record. This is what God says. Now, it's nice when you're living right. But that's fallible assurance because it goes like this. And sometimes like this with an occasional good day <laughs> when you got desperate enough to get to God. <laughs> that's fallible assurance. Are you with me? The only infallible assurance is the infallible word. See, if you switch the focus to you, your performance, or sometimes people focus on their prayer. Oh, you know, I was only eight. I'm not sure I said it right. I'm not sure I said propitiation. <laughs> and see, what happens is as you grow in the Lord, you learn also all, you know, you, you learn a lot more detail. And you're thinking, man, I didn't understand that. You didn't need to. You just needed to understand sin was the problem, hell was the consequence, and Christ the answer. And that when you trust him, you have. And so what happens is people think, oh, man, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, and sometimes good men who mean well, and they're not trying, you know, they, they mean well, but it, 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 it unwittingly puts the focus in the wrong spot. They're saying, you know, if you can't remember the date. Well, let me tell you something. Salvation is not based on remembering the date. I was told that I was born on March 22nd, 1962, but I don't remember it. <laughs> and I'm really glad I don't. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's not based on your memory. It's based on if you believed on Jesus, you have eternal life. Why? Because the Bible says so. You don't have to remember the date, whether or not the sky was blue or whether or not there were clouds. <laughs> now, friends, people get hung up on all this stuff. I'm serious. And the devil uses it. And by the way, what happens is, is so they pray again. Let me see if it'll take this time. You know, I haven't been performing well, so maybe if I just pray again, uh, maybe I'll start performing well, as if performing well is auto automatic. No, we're going to see in a moment when you get to revival, it's by faith. And so what happens is they think it's automatic, so they pray again to see if this will take, and things still don't play out. They're still not perfect, and they're thinking, oh, man, let me try it again. Let me grimace this time. When I pray, let me really, really mean it. <laughs> I'm telling you, people fall into this. And uh, it, 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 you know, every time you pray again, to get saved again, of course, it's impossible to get saved again. When you have eternal life, that life is eternal because his name is Jesus. But every time you pray again, you're stepping backward into doubt. And instead of getting help, you go down. And I meet people that are down in the mire of that quicksand. So what's the key? Get your focus back on the words. It's what God says. I was in a meeting one time and the pastor said, uh, this guy had come forward to a Bible conference. And so there were several preachers involved. And this guy uh, came forward, young man in his 20s. I remember he had bright red hair. And uh, he said, you know, Brother John, he said, uh, every time we have a guest preacher, this guy gets saved again. He said, we've all talked to him. He said, you do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I took him to John 6, 47. He who believes in me has eternal life. I said, look, has there ever been a time in your life when you understood sin was the problem, there's a judgment, that Jesus is the Savior, he died for your sins and rose again, there's the first side of the triangle, and that therefore, there's the second side of the triangle, you made a choice, there's the third side of the triangle, to depend on Jesus to save you. I said, you ever done that? He looked at me, he goes, yes. My friends, let's stop right there. Was he saved? 
Yes. If you've understood and you have uh, agreed and you depended on Jesus to save you, he did. Why? Because it says so. So I looked at him and I looked at the words and I said, well, what do you have? Blank stare. <laughs> so I pointed back to the words, eternal life. He who believes in me has everlasting life. I said, everlasting life? I said, you can count on it. You can depend on it. You can know it. Why? Blank stare. I pointed back to the words and said, because it says so. And the blank stare broke. And that light dawned across his countenance. And he breathed a sigh of relief. And he said, because it says so. <laughs> and he walked out of there rejoicing. You know what that is? That's assurance. He got saved as a kid. But he got his focus off. And therefore, he lost his assurance. And the way you get assurance is not getting saved again. That'll make you doubt even more. It's get your focus back on what God says. That when you did depend on him, he did save you. Why? Because he said so. See, the only infallible assurance comes from the infallible word of God. Do we get that? It's like if you're out at sea and you're about to drown and uh, 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 you struggle up for what you think is going to be your very last breath and somebody uh, throw uh, a, a rescue, you, you, you see a rescue boat going by and you cry out, help! What did you do? You transferred your own, your dependence from your own self-struggle to someone who could help you. You don't have to ask, oh man, did I say help right? You don't have to ask, oh man, was there enough sorrow in my voice? Was I repentant enough? Did I say, help? <laughs> no, it's that you transfer your dependence to somebody who could. Are you with me? That's where you find assurance. Getting saved again is stepping backward and it obscuring the real need in some cases of revival because sometimes people aren't living right and they're scratching their head. This, they know something's wrong with this. Well, the key is not to get saved and automatically you live right. The key is get to the third truth here. Okay, so we've seen in salvation, it's the question, how do you have eternal life? It's the choice of faith. Believe on Jesus and you have eternal life. And assurance, how do you know that you have eternal life? Get your focus back on what God says. This is the record. You believed on him, you have eternal life. Why? Because the Bible says so. Well, that brings us to revival. How do you live this abundant life? Salvation, choice of faith, assurance, walk of faith. It's all going to be by faith or it's not good news. In revival, excuse me, assurance, the focus of faith. <laughs> I got ahead of myself. In revival, it's the walk of faith. The Bible says in Colossians 2.6, As you have therefore received Christ, that was by faith, so walk ye in him. Walk in him. You received him when you believed on him. Assurance is when you focus on what God says. You believed on him, you have eternal life. Why? God, God says so. So how do you access that life? Well, we'll get into some detail this week, but the simplicity is it's by faith. And you know, if you haven't been living right, it says we're to walk in him. That starts with walking in the light. God is light. <laughs> 1 John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light. How do you do that? 1 John 1, 9, you get honest. It's called confessing. And when you do, he's faithful and just to forgive and to clean you all up <laughs> from all unrighteousness. See, there it is. That's the way back into the revived life. If there's sin in the life, 
Get honest about it. Stop covering up. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming everybody else. Stop blaming the situation. And call sin what God calls it. Friend, if you have an addiction of some sort, whether it's drugs or alcohol or porn or something else, if you want freedom, get honest. If you're a child of God, get honest. It's not, well, let me see if I can get saved again and see if this will take and automatically get kicked out. No, get to Jesus. You already trust him as a savior, but now you've ignored him and you've gone down another road. You've walked in the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. So get honest about it. And guess what? The blood of Jesus will clean you up. I remember a dear girl who had a lot of stuff, 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 teenager. At odds with her parents, <laughs> sin, all sorts of stuff. And she said, you know, she was about to go through the motions of getting saved again. She goes, wait a second, I'm saved. <laughs> I trusted Jesus. I'm just not living right. And I'm going to tell you, she unloaded the truck. She got honest. She called sin, sin. And I remember she just sank back in her chair and she said, oh, it's so good to be clean. Because the Bible says that when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, when you have sin in the life, whatever it is, and you get honest about it without making excuses, the blood of Jesus comes rushing in like a tsunami and cleans you all up. You're clean. Why? Because it says so. So this is revival instead of assurance of salvation. That's walking in the light. Then when you walk... After you walk in the light, you can go back to walking in the spirit. Walking in the sphere of what God's provided. Jesus is in you so that you can access him by faith. Christ lives in me, dot, 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 by faith. See, there it is. And that's when you experience Jesus. And when you experience Jesus, he doesn't have addictions. He doesn't have bitterness. He doesn't have any of the stuff. You access him and you access the victorious life himself. That's the abundant life. So what's your need today? To have life, that's salvation. To know it, that's assurance. Or to live it abundantly, that's revival as you're restored back to accessing the life that moved in when you got saved. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now, thank you for your kind attention this morning as we've walked through three big subjects. We spent most of our time on salvation, but spent a little bit of time on assurance and just a bare, a uh, little bit of, uh, just a minimum of time on revival. I wonder who this morning said, Preacher, back on the first one. Maybe you've believed about Jesus. Maybe you're on two chairs, but a split trust reveals a mistrust in Christ alone. And you see it. And you'd say today, you know what? A heads are bad, eyes are closed. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to make a scene. I'd just like you to understand where you are. We've got we to get diagnosed right so we can get the right cure. I wonder who today would say, Preacher, at best I'm on both chairs. At best I've believed about Jesus but down deep I know that I've never depended on Jesus to actually save me once and for all. I've never sat down on the Jesus chair, him alone. That's my need. I need salvation. Would you raise the hand if that's you? Just slip it up. Long enough for me to acknowledge you, and you can slip it right back down. Yes, I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you. You can put the hand down. Appreciate your honesty. Is there another? Say, I get it, preacher. At best, I've believed about Jesus, like the guy by the lake there. Maybe it's a two, you know, a split trust thing. You know, you, you know, you ought to live right, but you're depending on yourself to get to heaven. That won't work. You got to depend on Jesus. 
get heaven into you. <laughs> That's his eternal life. He moves in. There's been one. Is there another that would say, preacher, that's my need. I, 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 as we went through this this morning, that's my need. At best, I've believed about Jesus. I've never depended on him to save me. Actually trusting him to do it, that's my need. Would you raise the hand? All right, there's two. God bless you. Is there another? There's been two this morning. Is there another? Say, that's my need, preacher. I need to depend on Jesus to actually save me. Sit down on that Jesus chair, and he moves in. Anyone else? Say, preacher, I've never done that. Maybe like the one guy, nothing wrong with praying a prayer if prayer expresses faith, but in this guy's case, it didn't express faith. He said, I prayed, but I don't know if he did it. I hope he did, but I don't know if he did. Okay, that's not trusting God to do what he said. That's unbelief. Maybe that's where you've been in the past, and it's time to believe on Jesus. There's been two that have raised their hand. Is there anyone else that preacher, pray for me? I need to get saved. I just flat need to get saved. I need to have eternal life. God's speaking to me. All right. Now, if you are saved, I'll switch to that second point. Maybe you've had those seasons of doubt. Boy, they've uprooted you. You lose your joy. You get defeated and discouraged. And, you know, so you're ineffective in God's cause and, and so forth, and especially the gospel and witness and so on. And you'd say, wow, that, that assurance part of the message, that was for me. I remember last week we had two, two different ladies that really got this cleared up. I mean, it was life-changing. They, they had their focus wrong, and they got their focus back on the record that when you believe on Jesus, you have eternal life. Why? Because it says so. And if you've already believed on Jesus, you've actually trusted him to save you, but you've doubted, the key is to get your focus back on God's sure words, infallible words. That when you believe on him, you have eternal life. Why? It says so. That was written so that you would know what you have. Who would say, preacher, my need today was assurance. Would you raise the hand, please? That was my need. That part of the message was for me. I've had those seasons of doubt, and I've got to get my focus back on Jesus. I've got to switch from the subject of faith, performance, my prayer, all that, back to the object of faith, Jesus based on his words. I needed the assurance part of the message. Would you raise the hand? All right. Now, let me ask this. Who would say, preacher, I'm saved, and I even know it, but I'm not living it. And wow, this is just the beginning of the meeting. God's already speaking to me. I already know there's some stuff that's in the way. I need to walk in the light. I need to agree with God. The closet sin's got to go. Or maybe it's just some hidden bitterness. Maybe it's anger, irritation. I mean, I didn't take time to detail all that stuff. But you know what it is because God's telling you. And you'd say, you know what? I need to walk in the light. I need to let the blood of Jesus cleanse me. Give me that clean heart again. It's not getting saved again. It's clearing your conscience. And you'd say... I need to step back into revival. God spoke to me. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. God bless you. Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless in these final moments. May we not miss what you're doing. Lord, I pray especially for these two who have acknowledged their need to receive Jesus as Savior, salvation to begin with. Lord, I pray that they would make that choice today walk out of here having eternal life. Lord, if there's some who need assurance, may they get their focus back on you. Lord, many acknowledge the need of revival. May they walk in the light, Lord. May they bring that, that habit, that stumbling, the stuff that they know has grieved you. And Lord, just get honest in the light. Lord, May they walk out 
taking a hold of the fact that you said you'd clean them up. And may they walk out of here clean. Lord, may that set the stage for us to go further tonight and in the nights to come to really walking in the abundant life of Jesus. But may it start this morning with just getting honest. So Lord, help us, we pray. With our heads bowed, would you stand to your feet, please? Would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed? In a moment, I'm going to ask the pens to play through a verse of a song. I'll ask Pastor Carson to come to the front. Now look.